Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. SOS doesn't only stand for Sense of Soul, but it also is sign for help. And Shanna and I really love that because part of our purpose is to be of service and to help others in need. And as our listeners know, we always talk about how being a community, supporting one another, and asking for help is so important. Today on the Sense of Soul podcast, we have Joyce Beaudry. I happened to be on the Nextdoor app to see what was going on in my neighborhood, and I was called by, I don't know, the universe, a little nudge God to tell me to reach out to help her. Joyce is in desperate need of a kidney. Her family has polycystic kidney disease. And as of now, they are the only known family in history to have 100% of their members that have polycystic kidney disease. Therefore, no one in her family can donate to her. Each of her family members has had a kidney transplant and had their original kidneys removed as part of this disease. Joyce had a kidney transplant in February of 2017, but the kidney failed in September. We are reaching out to all of our listeners to help Joyce find a donor. And we're going to talk all about that. And we're also going to just learn a little bit about Joyce. She's right here in our hometown of Aurora, Colorado. Joyce, thank you so much for coming on to the Sense of Soul today. Thank you for having me. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what exactly this disease is? Yeah, it's called polycystic kidney disease. There's two types. There's recessive and a dominant. The recessive shows up in in younger kids and most need transplants by the time they're 10 or they die. When it's the adult dominant polycystic kidney disease, it shows up when you become an adult. It's not something that they test for because... Once you're tested and found positive for it, you no longer qualify for life insurance or individual health insurance. I can't get life insurance because it's it's a fatal disease. It will end up killing you if the heart attack from dialysis doesn't first. And your kidneys end up with literally thousands of cysts on them, in them, all around them. Um, When they took my kidneys out, they were the size if not bigger than NFL footballs. And your kidney is only supposed to be the size of your fist. So it ends up pushing your intestines, your stomach, your lungs aside. You can't breathe, you can't eat, you can't anything after a while. And they have to take them out. So you don't have any option but to go on dialysis. They stop working long before they take them out because the blood vessels in your kidney is what regulates your blood pressure and cleans your blood. If those are pushed to the side too many times, they can no longer filter your blood. So you end up, your kidneys failing long before they have to take them out of your body. Gosh, this has got to be so hard. I have a friend, a good friend, who her mom was on dialysis, like pretty much her whole life. She had grown up in Love Canal. Are you familiar? I don't know what that is. They built like a whole suburban neighborhood on top of like toxic ground. Oh, wow. I know. They had animals that were, you know, had strange mutations and stuff like that. And a lot of people end up having cancers, diseases, and she had gotten kidney. I know how very hard it is on a family. 
I actually worked at Children's Hospital with kids that were on dialysis, and it was heartbreaking. Some of them got kidneys and some of them didn't. And to see the long hours that they had to sit hooked up to machines and then the feeding tubes and uh, our hearts just go out to you. can only imagine how it probably has affected your entire family. Yeah. I remember I had a little girl by the name of Amelia in my class, and I was on the teacher side, not on like the doctor and nurse side. She looked like she was about nine months pregnant, even though she was eight years old. Yeah, you, people used to ask when you're doing. <laughs> my aunt got on a plane when, one time to somewhere, and, and somebody asked her, when are you due? And she got her feelings very hurt. She was like, I am not pregnant. I have polycystic kidney disease. Who was the first one in your family to have this? Um, My grandmother was actually, she was diagnosed with it when she had my Aunt Remy in 1960. She had to have a C-section and they saw what looked like clusters of grapes on her kidney. And they didn't know much about it back in 1960 when my aunt was born. And so, you know, they told her basically she was going to die because her kidneys weren't going to work any longer. And she lived until she was about 62 when she died. She died because she did a type of dialysis called peritoneal dialysis, and she ended up having a heart attack and then ended up in the hospital. And in the hospital, she had done so many years on peritoneal dialysis. The solution that goes into your stomach cavity on peritoneal dialysis, it draws out all of the toxins into the fluid that is sitting in your stomach cavity for hours at a time. And then you drain it out. You have a catheter that goes into your stomach cavity. And she just spent so many years on it that the dialysate had eaten away at her intestines. Her intestines ruptured and she died from a sepsis infection. Most people on dialysis, actually, that doesn't happen. They actually end up dying from heart complications because dialysis does in mine in particular does in about two hours and 43 minutes, what your body is supposed to do in 24 hours. Most people are on in-center dialysis and they go three times a week for four hours. So your body does in four hours, what your body is supposed to do in 48 hours. So it, it wears down your heart very, very quickly. Right. You get a transplant. Transplant takes here in Colorado, approximately five to seven years. Most once people get a transplant, they have the heart of an eight-year-old. Wow. Why, why is it taking so long? Everyone's got a kidney. Because most people are not altruistic living donors. Most people get their transplant from a deceased donor. Okay. Unfortunately, a lot of people aren't organ donors. One out of every five transplant comes from a living donor. The other four come from deceased donors. And there's about, I think it's give or take 110 people, 120 people on the organ transplant list. And of that, over 100,000 need kidneys. Yeah, you hear about like people selling their kidneys in like the black market. From from other countries, yeah. Yeah. You know, my uncle was born without a kidney and then he ended up getting kidney cancer. Oh no. I'm like, that's not good. Honestly, I feel really bad. I don't know if he ended up getting a transplant or, or what ended up happening, but he's okay. My, like my dad had a lot of heart issues. There's a lot of heart issues in that family as well. And I actually, it's kind of interesting. And maybe I want to follow up with my doctor, even though they said that it doesn't require following up. 
but I have a small liver cyst and a small to moderate size kidney cyst, which do not require imaging or following up. Oh, that's good. That's good. As long as they don't require imaging, you're you're good. A lot of organs get just natural cysts on them. Polycystic kidney cysts, they fill up with mucus that ends up in a cyst, usually results in an E. coli infection. They have to drain the cysts with needles and burn them. And it's a whole process that you have to go through if one of your cysts gets infected. They have to cut it open. At first, they have to drain it with long needles through your back. And then they have to cut open the cyst and they have to cauterize it so the infection doesn't come back. You have all these people that have an extra kidney that I'm assuming it's out of fear, don't want to give it up. There's a lot of misconception about living donation. I mean, first, people don't want to give up a part of their body. That's natural and normal. But people that donate a kidney actually live longer than people that don't. For some reason, that act of giving, the altruistic giving, makes them happier people. And they tend to live almost 10 years longer than somebody that doesn't donate a kidney. The incidence of complications or problems or developing kidney problems where you would need a transplant or have to go on dialysis or something after you give a kidney as a living donor is 0.007. Seven in 100,000 people have developed a complication that has required a dialysis or kidney transplant. And then there's so many donor protections in place. If you need a kidney after you donate a kidney, you're number one on the list. So you get your kidney faster than anybody else in the entire country. Well, that's amazing. It's not publicized. It's not talked about nationally. You don't hear about it on the news. You don't hear about it from even your doctor. I think that it should be a requirement for doctors to talk to their patients about it, especially if you're healthy. If you're healthy and you have no health problems, no issues, Why can't your doctor talk to you about it? But they're really not allowed to bring up things like altruistic donation. I don't know why they're not allowed to. You can actually be a living donor of part of your liver and the liver part will regrow itself in you. And if you donate part of your liver to somebody who is in need of a liver, it will at least grow enough to save their life long enough that they can get a full liver transplant. Is that the same with the kidney or no? Kidneys don't grow, no, but you okay. you only need one kidney to live. It doesn't right. change your anything in your body. It doesn't change urination. It doesn't change. You don't need medicines for the, most people think if you donate a kidney, you need medicines for the rest of your life. You don't. You go on about your life normally. The recovery from a, giving a kidney as a living donor, you would be in the hospital one or two days because they take it out laparoscopically, you would have no change in anything in your body for the rest of your life. You would have a ton of donor protections in place in case something did happen. My uncle Robert donated his kidney to his daughter, Jenny. He flew to Connecticut. He was in the hospital two days. And after a week, he flew back to Albuquerque. So many of your family members have had this. Yeah. Normally the incidence is that your offspring 
will have a 50% chance of getting it. And so far in our family, everybody has gotten it. We have two possibilities in the grandkid generation, my generation, they're, young, they're all younger than me. I'm the oldest grandkid. There's two possibilities that don't have it. And we only say that right now because they're really skinny, which doesn't promote the fact that they have football-sized kidneys. But in this disease, your kidneys can grow two ways. They can grow in the shape of a football when they start getting cysts, or they can just elongate. My mom had the kind where they just elongated and her kidneys grew lengthwise instead of out like a football. So it is possible that the two youngest, Jessica and Spencer, have the kind where they elongate. But again, it's not something you test for because you're uninsurable. You can't get individual health or life insurance after that. So it's just something you wait and see for, which is really sad. You should be able to. In the hearing now, 2022, you should be able to test and see if you have a life-threatening disease without fear of consequence, but you know, the consequences are huge. My daughter will never, ever inherit anything other than what I say. No. Have you guys done genetic testing, like through Ancestry and that kind of stuff, how they have like the medical genetic testing? I adopted my daughter, so I don't have to. My cousins who have kids, I'm sure they will. But actually, my cousin Jennifer told me that they have recently developed a new pill that is in the testing stages with the FDA that stops the cysts from forming. Mm. So and hopefully the next generation will be able to take this pill and not have kidney failure from it. Well, isn't that amazing? Maybe the FDA can pull something out of their ass as fast as they did with the COVID vaccination. I want to talk about your daughter. That story just pulled on my heartstrings too. I didn't know anything about you when I reached out to you. For all I know, you could have been like a felon or I didn't give a shit. I just listen when I'm nudged, but then you shared with me some personal aspects of your life that you're, you're a soul, which is what's important. You are a human and you are a soul, which is why we have to find you help and a donor. But on top of that, you're a freaking good person. I mean, you shared some things you do for our community. You shared that you adopted your daughter. Can you talk about that for a moment? No, I think I was probably, I don't even remember honestly how old I was, but it was 2008 and I just wanted kids and I knew I couldn't have kids without this passing on to them. Ours has so far been a hundred percent and I didn't want that for anybody. And so I went into the foster to adopt program with CYFD in New Mexico And Kayla, my daughter, was the second child I ever got. And they told me pretty much right away she was going to be a long-term placement. Um, Her original plan was to go home. And I was pretty devastated when they told me that. But as fate had it, she ended up going home for a month. And her birth mother continued down the path she was on. And... 
one month later, literally to the day, Kayla ended up back with me and they changed her plan to adoption. And I don't think I ever wanted anything more than I wanted her. I, so I always tell her, you were the most wanted child in the world. Oh, okay. So how old is she today? She's 19. Uh, well, bless your heart for loving her like your own and for being part of that program. And then tell us just a little bit about you. I mean, you had mentioned that sometimes you're a service to others yourself. Like you cooked some meals for people. I loved that. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah. So at the beginning of COVID, I was on next door and so many people were laid off at the beginning of COVID. Like March 15th came and everything shut down and the grocery stores were empty and people just were in like dire need of food and food pantries weren't getting what they needed because everything was shut down and stopped. And I started cooking meals for about 30 families. They would come every day and pick up food. And I, my menu varied from a chicken salad to pasole to um, chicken enchiladas to shrimp pasta, shrimp lemon pasta. It was, it was different every day. And about 30 families would come and pick up and their families ranged from two people to eight people. So I would put it together and set it in my garage with their names on it. And after a couple of months, a gentleman named Scott who came and he would help me. We would be both wearing our masks in my kitchen, trying to stay six feet apart, working around each other. <laughs> Because Scott was still out in the community and he would be the one that would go to the grocery store. I would go to Sam's and he would go to the restaurant supply store. And I did that for months and months and months. I just couldn't do it anymore. Well, first of all, how amazing that you did that. Second of all, here you are immune compromised and have this heart kidney issue and you're going out to Sam's club. I mean, you're literally putting your life on the line, to help other people. I mean, I think that says a lot about the kind of person you are. So uh, thank you, Joyce, for just, you know, paying it forward and being a kind person, because that's what our world needs more of. I did the best I could. I probably, I probably could have done it for longer, but after a while, I just, there's, there's a point when you get so tired. <laughs> So did you have a heart attack too, Joyce? I did. It was really weird. I went to my dialysis training at the time I was in home hemo training and I had had like a weird flow issue with my machine. So my dialysis nurse had flushed my catheter and I thought that was what had caused the problem. Like my heart was beating really weird. And they say women don't have atypical heart attacks. Well, my heart would beat really hard and then it would like skip a beat and then it would beat really hard and then flutter for 30 seconds. And then it would beat normal for a couple of hours. And then it would do the same thing, skip a beat and skip a beat, but beat really hard. And then it would flutter again. And that went on till about 2 a.m. And about 2 a.m. I got some tightness in my chest and had a little bit of a hard time breathing for maybe a half an hour. But then it went away and 8 a.m. 
was a Saturday morning. I called my dialysis the on call and said, Hey, this has been happening for, you know, since yesterday. And she said, well, why don't you just go into the ER and get an EKG, which is where they read your heart output, how it's beating, how it's functioning. So I went into the ER and they did an EKG and it came back abnormal, which means that something is wrong with your heartbeat. It's not beating normally. So they did, it's called the troponin test. When your heart has injury, it lets out a specific hormone called troponin. And my troponin came back exceptionally high. And so it had had some kind of injury and they did a million other tests, uh, a nuclear stress test. They did a heart catheter where they went in and looked at my heart and just, it was a barrage of tests for several weeks. Come to find out, yes, I had had a heart attack. The dialysis solution used to clean your blood wears down the muscles in your body and it causes heart disease, which causes heart attacks. Yeah. So yeah, I had a heart attack. It was in November and I didn't even feel it really. I felt a little bit of tightness. My dad, when he had his first open heart surgery, they were like, man, you've had some heart attacks. He's like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, he didn't even know. He probably just went on about his business. Yeah. Because I mean, if you're not present with yourself. Those of us with chronic illness tend to be very aware of our bodies, what's going on and what you're feeling from a day-to-day basis, minute-to-minute basis, in all honesty. And the only thing I felt was a little bit of tightness for maybe half an hour. So you feel a chest tightness, you are likely having a heart attack. Nothing in my arm, nothing different, nothing off. There was no pain. It was just a little bit of chest tightness for about a half an hour. I think a lot of people that haven't been through something like this, or I think a lot of people are really naive to the fact that, like, I'll give an example. My friend Kim had a lot of radiation and chemo for breast cancer, which ended up giving her leukemia. So yes, it cured the cancer, but then it ended up causing her to have leukemia. So just like you, you get a solution. They give you something to help you, but people don't understand the long-term effects. They think you're just cured. Um, (laughs) When you get a kidney transplant, because of the damage that dialysis does to your body, you are only ever back to about 60% physically of what you were prior to dialysis, prior to before you got sick. It wears your body down that much. Like my mom, when she got her transplant, they told her she had an 80-year-old's heart. Is your mom still alive? Yeah, she is. She's had her kidney for 11 years, her transplant. And she is always very weak and very unstable. She's falls to the side a lot and there's no rebuilding that it just is what it is she will always be immunosuppressed she will always be off balance she will always be very weak you can't rebuild muscles that were eaten away by dialysis so 
are you a single mom? I am. You adopted as a, as a single woman. Yes. Wow. Wow. They actually let me, they were behind me 110%. Kayla's guardian ad litem was 110% behind me. She and I are still friends to this day. Do they give you some sort of like time frame of like how long it might be? Are you on the donor list right now? I am. I did a lot to improve my health over the years I had the kidney transplant. I went through a lot of physical therapy. I went through a bariatric surgery to lose a hundred pounds because I knew if I ever needed another kidney, I used to be really overweight. They would not approve me with the weight I had. I was diabetic and I was severely diabetic. I was on something called U500, which is a concentrated form of insulin that delivers instead of one unit, 500 units at a time. And I was on that insulin and I was on over 500 units of it three times a day. My diabetes was out of control. It was weight related, but it was more than that. It was because transplant messes with your pituitary gland. It was not something I had control over the, the triglyceride level and the, the type two diabetes level that I had. So it was a absolute must to lose weight quickly. That seems almost impossible. I mean, it's not like you were gaining the weight because you were sitting at McDonald's camped out for nine hours. No, I wasn't. <laughs> no, it, it was because of when you go on dialysis, it shuts down your pituitary gland, which is what controls all your different hormones. And so everybody on dialysis, their triglycerides go really high. And most people on dialysis get diabetes if they're not on dialysis for diabetes. Yeah. And so it was not anything I had control over, but I had to lose like a hundred pounds really quickly to get it under control. And so I underwent bariatric surgery and I had a gastric sleeve done and I was very blessed and very lucky because they told me I would still be on insulin and I'm not, I'm not mm -hmm. on any diabetic meds. Great. So diabetes went away. It's like one chance in a million that that would happen, but it did. Joyce, have you been able to work throughout all of this? Oh no, you don't. Very, very few people can work well on dialysis because in doing what your body normally does in 24 hours, it's like you run a marathon in that two hours and 43 minutes you're on dialysis. So you get off of dialysis and you're exhausted. It creates chronic fatigue. You go on disability. It's never very much compared to what you would make in a normal job. Yeah. I only get about $1,000 a month in disability. And um, so, yeah, no, you have to be, you have to have family support. There's no other way to make it if you get sick. Wow. 
Okay. So here's, here's the question. I felt a sense of urgency when I read your post. I will say I very rarely get on the next door app because it annoys the shit out of me. Like people can be really (laughs) negative. It's, I feel like sometimes it's like another just Facebook, but Mm -hmm. people really jab at each other. It was very refreshing to see the kindness though, on your feed and the prayers going out for you and people sharing. I noticed that you are a huge advocate for yourself. I commend you for that because you, you have to be right. Is this life or death for you? So because I had the heart attack and because heart disease just gets worse, I have about six months until um, either my heart is so bad that I don't qualify for the transplant list anymore or until the heart disease just gets so bad that I die. You say you have to be at a certain health, obviously you said, weight and then your heart would have to be good when my dad needed a heart I mean I was so annoyed I felt like I had to fight for his character that he needed a heart I mean they came to the family I mean I was almost insulted I'm like are you kidding me like the man is dying and is in need of a heart you want me to beg for his heart and and truly it is such a rarity that you're going to find a heart that's going to be exactly the right blood type, mm-hmm. which is, that's what I want to talk to you about. What things are we waiting for, for you to be able to successfully get a kidney or what could help? The only thing that could help is a living donor. Okay. I'm on the transplant list. I went on in, I want to say April because my kidney actually started failing in March. I had a couple of acute episodes where it failed and then it came back and then it failed and then it came back and it was kind of like stuttering, I guess you could say, while it was failing. Does it need to be a specific blood type and size and all of these things? Not anymore. Oh, really? Now they have three kinds of donation. They have direct donation where if a person is a match for you, they will transplant from that person directly into you. What makes you a match? Blood type and tissue type. Okay. My blood type is type O. You don't have to match me to donate to me though. The second type of donation is a paired matching where you match person B and person B's donor matches me. Doesn't matter anywhere in the country. They have helicopters and Learjets. So they can get kidneys anywhere within the time frame needed. They've never, ever lost a kidney due to transportation issues. We should hit up Amazon. They deliver really, really fast. <laughs> right? You know what? <laughs> I used to have a client. That's what he did. He was a helicopter transporter. My last kidney was on ice while they were deciding whether or not that she could donate. It was on ice for 10 hours and it came from Louisiana. And what happened? You didn't get it? No, my that was my transplant in 2017. Yeah, I did Okay, so you, how many have you had? I've had one kidney. Well, just the one? Okay. Yeah. So even though you get a new kidney, you're still going to have this. Is that what you're saying? Like the same thing's going to happen? No, not necessarily. So, you know, there is a chance of rejection with any kidney transplant. 
but my kidneys particularly failed because right before I had my kidney transplant, I had to have eight blood transfusions. So I became, it's called your PRA, your reactive antibodies from all the blood transfusions. They can take out all the bad things of a blood transfusion, but they can't take out the antibodies in the blood. So my antibodies went up to 99%. What that did was it moved me to the top of the list because it's an almost impossible match to make. So if you have 99% antibodies, you go first on the list in the country. So that was great. It moved me up to the top of the list. What they don't tell you is those antibodies turn around and can start attacking your kidney. They don't always, but. So this, if you, if you were to get a kidney now, would they be more careful about not giving you all of those blood transfusions beforehand? I, I didn't, I will, I don't need them. I needed okay. them at the time because what happened was one of my needles came out during dialysis and I lost five and a half pints of blood. Oh, okay. Okay. So, okay. So there's the match of the liver and or the blood and the tissue. And then what's the other two? That's it. Okay. Okay. So there's the, like I said, the the direct donation, then the paired matching, and then there's a standard, it's called a standard voucher program. Yeah. And what that allows to happen is the Kidney Foundation, UNOS, finds out of the living donors available, they find the best match for you. They match you at all the different points they can, and they find the best match for you and you get that person's kidney. Somebody has an altruistic donor that's willing to give to them, but doesn't match them. So you get the best match for you. And then they find a chain basically of people who have living donors that don't match them. And they create a chain. The longest chain in history so far is 37 donors. Wow. All these people end up finding the best matches for them. Yeah, I remember them telling me that they'll look inside your state first. And if there's no one in there, then they go to your region and then they go to your country and then they go out of the country, which my dad was actually on the um, he was number one on the list for some reason, I guess because of, you know, the emergency, but he didn't make it. He died in the hospital waiting but you know, I don't know what, I forget which part of his eyes, but both of his eyes were donated. One was to a little girl, I think in Texas, she was like three and mm-hmm. the other was in Germany. So I got to see how far and wide wow. that could go. I know. So that's what I'm thinking. We all have, you know, an extra kidney that we don't need. And then all these people dying on a daily basis. Why can't we get some kidneys? Yeah. 17 people die every day. Well, let me tell you why. I'll tell you why. There's one word for it. It's called fear. Also just being uninformed because if I would have known the things that she shared before, but that's what happens. It starts running through our freaking head, like all this fear. Right. And that's what it probably boils down to. Don't you think Joyce? 
I would say most of it is fear. Yeah. And being uninformed, not knowing. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. The lack of education. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to get into your feelings. And Shannon and I are going to mute. And I just want you to talk directly to our listeners. Advocate for yourself. Talk to them. I mean, I can't even imagine these two people I'm watching walk around in the background in your house right now, how they must feel every day knowing that you could possibly, you know, be gone in six months. This is a real cry for that SOS, you guys, for help. So Joyce, we're going to just hand it over to you. Um, Thank you. I just ask that if you can be a living donor, please do. There's so many people in need. So many people die every single day from kidney disease and they die on dialysis. 17 people every day die. And it's, I think the biggest need that we have in our society is for more living donors. If you want to try donating for me, you can go to UC Health livingdonor.org it's all one word and there's a survey you fill out in the health questionnaire when it asks for recipient you can put in my name Joyce Beaudry but if you can donate to anybody you can go to the National Kidney Foundation or donorshield.org and find out if you're a candidate you know there's some health criteria they won't take. If you have diabetes, they can't take you. It puts you at too much risk. They won't put anybody at risk. If you can't donate, they'll let you know. But if you can donate, please do. It's the biggest need. So many people die. I'd love to stick around to see my daughter's milestones. Yeah. Hmm. (sighs) What else do you want to see? Oh, I want to see Greece. I want to see my mom's 40th wedding anniversary. They just hit 30 years, so I'd like to be here in 10 when they hit 40. Yeah. And the thing about a living donor versus a deceased donor is the kidney lasts like 10 years longer. My aunt had a perfect match from a living donor and her one kidney has lasted her over 20 years. She's not going to need another kidney transplant in her life. Otherwise, people need two or three kidney transplants from deceased donors. Wow. And Living donors, they get an automatic $100,000 in life insurance from DonorShield. They, if anything ever happens to their native kidney, they go to the top of the donation list. They have protections in place. They have legal protection. If they miss work to donate a kidney, they get reimbursed for work missed from DonorShield. They get travel expenses reimbursed and paid for, hotels reimbursed and paid for, food, everything is covered now. Well, are there other organs that you can donate like that? You know, living donors? Just part of your liver. Part of your liver as well? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, like living, I can understand, you know, if someone's not healthy enough and needs it, but like when you're dead, I mean, you 
this body is literally just a vehicle that was, you know, housing your soul. Yeah. Just by donating your dead body, that's going to become part of the ground anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, you could save a life. Save some you lives. actually can end up saving it, there's an insane amount of lives you can end up saving by donating your organs once you're deceased it's like 18 lives or something like that I mean, it's, it's unbelievable I mean yeah, I thought for sure nothing of my dad's was going to be good because he had so many issues and just mm-hmm. his eyes you know please consider being a donor why not I almost think it's selfish if you don't be a donor And please, you guys, you know, spread the word, spread this episode. Let's help Joyce out. Joyce wants to see her beautiful 19-year-old daughter's milestones. I just, I knew, I just knew you were a special person. I, I, you know, I'm so proud and glad that you're part of our little Aurora here in Colorado. And I can't wait to meet you in person. Thank you for sharing your story. And I know there's so much more to it. There's probably so much pain, so much fear, that has gone through the genetics and through the bodies and the minds of your family. And so this isn't just about you. This is also about your family. Something that I'm very passionate about is the ancestral work. And I too, you know, have lots of trauma that's been passed down from my mom and my dad. So my dad has the Holocaust. My mom's got slavery. So I'm like, oh yeah, this is, yeah. Right. But these things were passed down in trauma and turned into diseases. And so do you have you done ancestry work? Actually, I just recently did it because my aunt and I were talking. We wanted to see mm-hmm. what actually truly showed up because her daughter did it and her daughter ended up with 5% Eskimo and we have no idea where that showed up from. So wow. I, did do it. I did one from CRI genetics. They actually can trace back your family lines and mm-hmm. your great personality traits and things you're prone to and your genetics and all kinds of stuff. I'm still waiting for all of the results to come back, but I did get my ancestry results back, which Uh came out quite interesting. I'm 2.5% Southeast Asian. We have no idea where that (laughs) came from because literally my generation is the first generation here in the United States. My dad's parents were all from Germany. My mom's parents, my grandmother was from England and my grandfather was from Ireland. Yeah. And part of my dad's family was born in Germany, part of his brothers and sisters. And my mom's sister was born in England. So I'm literally first generation here. So it was interesting to see the breakdown of the genetics. Did a little bit of research on my German line and the Jewish and all this and that I had in my ancestry. They were saying that not only were the Holocaust survivors descendants affected by trauma and by disease, but as were the the Germans who had put this on them, which was so interesting to me. My daughter had a lot of trauma in her life and she is involved in a study right now and participating in a fairly new program that deals with different instances of how trauma changes your physical body my daughter in particular how it manifests in her is she unconsciously holds her breath until she's almost passed out and she blacks out for a few seconds and they call them 
in this trauma study and program that she's in, and they manifest differently in each person, and it's all caused by trauma, but they call them non-epileptic seizures because it is completely unconscious and uncontrollable by them. And trauma affects you no matter if you deal with it or not. Yeah. It comes out in your mannerisms and different things in your body. It works its way out one way or another. And it really does move down the genetics. Joyce, thank you for sharing your story and just your spirit. You know what I noticed about you is that you are very humble. Like here I gave you an opportunity to take the mic and talk about donating. And I feel like a lot of people would have completely just made it about themselves. Like you're in a desperate need and you turned it into help anyone you can. You didn't say, please, please, please help me. You said help anyone that might need a donation. And that says a lot about you as a person. You are very humble and you care about people and that comes through in your words. So thank you. Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to be on here and to even bring a little bit of awareness to this because it's like I said, people just, they don't know. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. And we tell everyone all the time, be curious, educate yourself. And this is a topic I think people forget about until it affects them, unfortunately. Okay. Tell our listeners one more time where they can go for you. You see health livingdonor.org. It's all one word. U-C-H-E-A-L-T-H-L-I-V-I-N-G-D-O-N-O-R.org. And tell them how to spell your name. When they ask for a recipient, you type in Joyce, J-O-Y-C-E, Beaudry, B-E-A-U-D-R-Y. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. The only thing I can say is educate yourself about living donation. And you can't do it while living be a deceased donor because there is such a need for organs. For any type of organ to anybody. Thank you. You've been wonderful. I'd love to have some coffee with you. We believe in power of prayer. So everyone, please pray for her as well. And thank you again, Joyce. We can't wait to meet you and we will be in touch with you. Okay. Thank you guys. Have a great day. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.